Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. And then you should, you think that's bad? See you Ryan on the phone in the office. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, let's just dive into it, man. This is a fun one. Uh, we got cool. we got Brian Webster here from uh, Colorado BHA. This is kind of a special episode. Uh, what we're doing here is we are celebrating public lands. Uh, is it like awareness month or is it just public land celebration month? What's is there a technical term for it? Well, uh, I guess I mean we have a BHA. We talk about it as a Public Lands Month, and we usually try to um, have a a celebration throughout the month. Um, and I mean, we try to celebrate uh, Public Lands Day, which this year is September twenty fourth. But we we typically just uh, try to host a bunch of work projects, get public landowners, hunters, anglers out on the landscape given back to the resource and uh, this year we're going to continue to do that but also highlight some of our our priority campaigns um, some of the wins that we've had and some of the efforts that we're working hard on uh, across the country right on so public lands day is september 24th but you guys try to celebrate the whole month uh seems very fitting for folks to be celebrating um it's kind of like built in it's it's caked in that people are celebrating public lands in september yep due to uh to elk hunting and all all the hunting seasons starting then is that is that uh do you know like is that kind of why you guys chose september or well so uh public lands day is sort of set like that's a uh sort of a government established holiday i suppose and uh i mean for us like you said it's one of the best months out of the year you only get so many septembers in your life and a lot of us try to find ourselves out uh in the field and chase uh and uh uh, pursuit of uh, bugling elk and i mean so we just thought like you know what let's uh let's celebrate it folks are in the field that's great and if folks are maybe harvesting a little early or waiting for a later season let's try to organize some projects close to them remove some fence um do some good vegetation treatment um and just pick up some trash and and make sure that we're giving back to the resource that's awesome man do you was uh how long has uh public lands day been around that september 24th date you know that's an excellent question i'm i'm not exactly sure on that okay it's a great question though wasn't sure if it was like spawned out of you know the 1930s when all the you know conservation awareness was kind of a new thing or if it's a, a newer thing but uh i'm glad we have it i'm glad we got you here man um just real quick i don't think we we really dove into it but you want to you want to give a little introduction as to like what you do uh for bha yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to, and I'm happy to be here. Appreciate the invitation, guys. Um, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, my name's uh, Brian Webster. I'm the uh, programs manager and uh, Colorado and Wyoming chapter coordinator for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. I'm uh, based here in Grand Junction, not too far from you guys. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, help uh, support three of our program areas, our Armed Forces Initiative, which is uh, led by a great coordinator, Trevor Hubs, Um, our 
hunting for sustainability program, which is led by Trey Curtis and our collegiate program, which is led by Kylie Shoemaker. And uh, we just brought on a new position here in Colorado that I'm helping to support um, at Britt Parker. She just jumped on board and she's going to be focusing on removing around 40 miles of obsolete barbed wire fencing, woven wire fencing across the Northwest part of Colorado. So uh, excited to bring her on board and doing what we can to help improve wildlife and migration habitat connectivity and reduce some of that fragmentation on the landscape. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, that's like, as a lot of fence and a lot of obstruction to, I mean, not really, I mean, they jump it, but how many times have you seen animals Animal. caught in fence videos of animals caught in fence? I mean, that's, yeah. Well, the, a, the thing is, I feel like so much of it is random. Like you'll, you'll be uh like i can see why that's could almost be a full-time job because you'll be walking through a chunk of giant national forest right and you're just like smack dab in the middle of it and i get it there's like grazing allotments and stuff like that but um you know it's, it seems like i just did that the other day yeah i was like on i was like walking scouting this unit and on onyx looking around and i like came to a fence and had to look at my onyx look around like look for any signs and i was like all right just a random barbed wire fence i mean it was old i could tell it was old yeah. um but still yeah i mean it it's uh it thank god for onyx right because uh <laughs> if you like back in the day before you had onyx you'd come up to a barbed wire fence it would immediately you'd be like thinking like man i swear this was like all public land around here but um you know coming to a fence why am i coming to a fence so good thing we got Absolutely. onyx um but yeah, man, so we were talking, we got a couple of things, uh, public land base that we want to kind of cover off on today. Uh, first off, we want to kind of talk about uh, a couple of public land wins in legislation that we've had this year. Uh, I think we want to talk about possibly a couple um, possibilities for public land um, that haven't quite passed yet. And then uh, I would like to talk about some of the new additions to public land that have happened this year. Um, just to kind of round off the year and, and give, give folks, uh, you know, uh, something to, you know, pat themselves on the back for as well as yeah. strive for. Um, so let's start off with the, uh, two big time wins for public land. And in my mind, the, the biggest one, um, that, that, that hunters specifically hunters and anglers are going to benefit from the most, uh, is that map land act. And that was mm -hmm. packed passed back in i think june or something like that uh do you want to kind of give us a rundown on what that mapland act does for for hunters and anglers and public land yeah brian that was a an excellent segue to you talking about coming up to a fence and not knowing what's on the other side of it and how valuable onyx has been and how much that has empowered DIY public land hunters and anglers I mean it's really allowed us to understand like the extent of what's out there and available to us and our ability to access that and the map land act uh, which is the modernizing access to our public lands act um, is a really big step forward that uh, further empowers DIY hunters and public land owners everywhere uh, the act funds public land management agencies that include the BLM, the Forest Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, National Park Service, BOR, Army Corps of Engineers, the list goes on, uh, to standardize, compile, and release digital map records 
to the public. And so, I mean, that's super helpful. It's, I mean, as we know, all of us users of Onyx and other platforms, I mean, it, it's just really helpful to know where you stand. And this publicly available information Branding. will include. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's yeah, the Onyx exactly. is like Onyx is a tagline and yeah. know where you stand. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, they've been great partners. Uh, we love working with them. They're actually going to be uh, sponsoring and um, our uh, pint nights um, moving forward. So a lot of our pint nights are going to be brought to you by Onyx and we're really excited about that. And so folks that show up and sign up for a membership are going to get some uh, free uh, Onyx subscription. So I'll just throw that in there, but, uh, nice. um, but awesome. I mean, getting, yeah. getting back to the map land. Yeah. We're excited about it. And uh, getting back to the map land act. I mean, this is going to help folks know like whether a road is open or closed, what kind of um, vehicle use regulations might exist on it. It's going to add like a further, more granular, like higher quality level of detail around some of these access points. I mean, and as you guys know, as any public landowner knows, uh, I mean, the loss of access or where access becomes a question, like that's going to limit your ability to get out that's gonna yeah. like shape your, your your decision on whether you like you're gonna go try to get out into this place or not and and for a lot of people the loss of access is the reason they give up their hunting and angling traditions so yeah anything we can do to get more information into the public's hands to help them access their public lands is a huge win so we're stoked about the mapland act yeah i i mean another example i can think of and maybe you can help shit like shed some light for me on this so i was out driving around i was um my my kid wasn't going down for a nap so i threw him in the car and i went to to on a drive to to put him down for a nap um that's what i told my wife and uh i really i was out scouting so i went and drove yeah, some roads didn't bring the binos i swear yeah uh he fell asleep <laughs> he did so um but anyways uh, so I'm driving, trying to figure out how to access this point of BLM. And I know that there's a couple of roads that actually reach BLM where I can legally get out of the vehicle and, and start walking. Um, but, you know, driving around, driving around, ranches, uh, oil, oil field plots, which I know that some allow access, but some don't. And so it's, it's very confusing. And I hit this one road where I knew I could make it to BLM. but there isn't a gate, it's a cattle guard, but there's private land, no trespassing signs, not really on the fences, but like on the uprights of the cattle guard, right? So I was sitting there in my car, literally, like you're saying, sitting there in my car, like, can I drive up this? Like, yeah. it, it, am I trespassing if I cross this cattle guard? Because technically, they don't have to, a private landowner doesn't, in Colorado doesn't have to put a gate there. Um, and, and really they don't even have to put a sign. I think the liability is put on the, the user, the, mm. the, the, uh, recreation, um, you know, user to know if they're trespassing or not. Um, so I'm sitting there like trying to figure out if I can drive up the, the road or not. And it sounds like Mapland is going to help me decide whether I, I can do that or not. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be able to show like where there's public access easements, um, just whether that's a private or a public road. I mean, it's going to be super helpful. I mean, it's going to add that little bit of granular information in a lot of instances that are going to be the difference between you continuing that down that road 
um and knowing that you're in the right like in the right that that's like you got the ability to do that or turning around because you have a question of whether or not that's a public public access easement or a public road. So yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge for a lot of us. Well, and so just so people know me and uh, Joel Webster uh, of TRCP, they were, I know that they're pretty active in getting that passed with uh, in, on the legislation uh, side of it, just in Washington there. Uh, we did a whole podcast kind of diving into the, taking a deep dive there. Um, so, it, you know, if, if you want uh, an in-depth dive into kind of the ins and outs, we have that podcast out there, but yeah, I mean, it, the it's, it'll be interesting because I think that there are a lot of, uh, private landowners that's, you know, were sold parcels of, of private property that they're going to be, I don't know if it's in for a wake up call, but you know, there, there's going to be some easements that are just not known to certain private landowners. But then on the flip side, there's probably also a few easements, um, that, you know, are going to be reversed because, you know, one way or another, a private landowner thought that he had to let, you know, people get to this public land here. Um, you know, it, it could be reversed in that, in that way. But I, I think it's going to be overall a big wing win for uh, public land for sure. I mean, it's just the, just the knowing, because as of right now, and, and all the way up until I think it's 2023 is when they have to have all this stuff um, standardized. Um, but up until now, like these uh, public land easements were essentially just written on papers stored in the in the basement of the you know Colorado BLM office or, or yeah. the National Forest Service or the county clerks or whatever. And so this is like all these people are having to work and, and really put this into a digitized um, you know digitized asset, I guess. So, so they're going to put it in like KML files, right? I'm. I don't know. I just know it's going to be digital. It'll, I think it'll be the type of thing where, you know, right now on Onyx, we'll take Onyx, the popular example. Right now on Onyx, you click on a, a road, right? And I think what it says right now is it's like, it, it'll just say four wheel drive road, you know, and not much information. I think uh, after this, there'll probably, you'll be able to click on that road. And especially if it goes across a piece of public or private land, it'll say, public land easement or maybe it'll be a different color i don't know how they're gonna put it make it digital but um it, it's gonna be accessible. there's no verbiage for that yeah for like I mean, how I'm, I'm sure there is but uh yeah i don't know the the details there i just know you'll be able to see it on onyx and for my dumb ass that's all i need <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's gonna be awesome but yeah yeah and i i'm just excited to see like what pieces of uh because it might not necessarily open up any pieces of public land, but I think it'll make getting into certain drainages a lot easier, right? Yeah. Like, whereas before in this one piece of property, you had to go in from above and now you can just hike up the canyon. I, I'm thinking of one specific spot where um, where I had a circumstance last year uh, that I did not know that there was a public land easement until I actually went and had to talk to this rancher because some dude got lost. Um, and they were basically like, yeah, you can, you can hit this road and actually hike up this drainage instead of having to, you know, crawl, over the crawl, thing. crawl down through thick <laughs> oak brush and stuff like that. So it was, it was a very, very saved a lot of time. So yeah. that's what I'm excited for, for, for this, uh, specifically. Yeah, absolutely. When I look at this piece of legislation, I, I mean, 
the word I come away with is it's empowering. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's totally. Just, you're going to be able to just that, that information is so valuable. I mean, and having the best information at your fingertips is, is just, it, it changes what's possible. So really excited to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I also wonder, and you know, we might be diving too deep into like theoreticals here, but I wonder how many times have you been going down a road that you think is public, like a public road and you hit a gate. And you're like, mm. but it says that this is a public road and it goes all the way that way. You know, like I can see it on the map where it ends and it looks like there's a parking lot there, but why is there a gate here? Yeah. You know, and why is this gate locked? Um, yeah. I think that a lot of those things are going to get found out. And yeah. because there are, and you know, um, I, you know, have friends who are ranchers who run cattle, run sheep, they have their private land and it's important to them. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I also know some private landowners who gate off roads on purpose, close off trails on purpose mm-hmm. that are supposed to be accessed by the public that run through the, like I, I'm thinking one specifically that's not, that's not closed off, but like, if it wasn't so well known, you literally drive through the ranch. The dude's house yeah. is on one side, his barn is on the other side, and you literally drive through his property. Um, but it's like a public road that gets back into a lot of public um, public land. Now, if he were to put a gate there, you would you would think that you're about to drive onto someone's full property, you know, and and these things happen. Maybe it's not super common, but they happen, and I've ran into it before. And uh, um, you know, I think that there a lot of those things are going to get found out Definitely. by this by this thing. Yeah, and especially in Colorado, where it, where it is such a, you know, the the landowner has a lot of the privilege there, as opposed to like North or South Dakota, where you know, unless it's posted, you can typically quote unquote, trespass, right? They have a little bit easier uh, public access laws, um, mostly just because there's so much private land. But I think in Colorado specifically, I think that's, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of access that is, is opened up. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty awesome law and congrats to BHA, TRCP, everybody that got involved with, yep. uh, with getting that passed. So yeah. So props and to everyone you guys. who like wrote in, who yeah. like actually opened up the emails and you know <laughs> sent a sent a letter yep. to their to their representatives and stuff. Yep. Um, that stuff does not go unnoticed by by politicians for sure. Yep. That's what you got to do as a public landowner. All right. Um. So I want to move on to the next uh, big win for public land, and this is I think this is in Colorado, and this is I guess it's more so for wildlife uh, per se, but you know, the, a lot of us chase wildlife on public land. And if there's war, more wildlife out there, there's going to be more wildlife on public land. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's a win for public land. Uh, but this was uh, in Colorado. We I think it was again this summer. Uh, we passed the Safe Crossing for Wildlife and Motorists Act. And uh, basically, the way I understand that is it just, uh, you know, sh- uh, Passes, uh, puts aside some money um, to build overpasses, underpasses, under big 
uh, highways that, you know, th- that's one of the big things in, in wildlife right now, especially out west here with mule deer and, and antelope animals that have these large migration routes, you know, that you, you drive down one of the one of the big highways here in Colorado in, you know, December, January, there's just deer strewn about everywhere. So um, safe crossing for, for wildlife. Would you mind giving us a little bit more detail on what this one's about here, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, appreciate the question. So yeah, the uh, um, safe crossings for wildlife and motorists um, bill uh, SB 151 um, passed uh, out of the state legislature with uh, overwhelming bipartisan support this last spring. And as you mentioned, uh, it creates a uh, safe passages cash fund, which currently stands at about $5 million right now and is held by the state treasury. Um, This fund is going to be utilized by the Department of Transportation to provide funding for projects by that department to provide safe road crossings for connectivity for wildlife to reduce wildlife vehicle collisions. And yeah, so we're really excited about it. when uh, this bill came up, um, I, we all learned a lot about just the impact of these wildlife vehicle collisions. And I was pretty surprised to see that around 14,000 wildlife vehicle collisions take place every year in Colorado. Um, when you talk about wow. what that means economically, that's about $80 million annually in medical bills and property damage. And that's about $24 million in loss of wildlife resources. So. Um, we're super happy to see this bill pass. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, Ryan, um, healthy wildlife populations depend on healthy wildlife habitat. And uh, Colorado is one of the fastest growing states in the country. And um, we're seeing habitat loss um, at pretty alarming rates in some instances uh, across the state. Um, due to fragmentation and other things that um, are in part due to like highways, roadways, things like that. So to be able to have funds set aside to help provide more connectivity, that's huge. Um, and we know very well that these projects um, high, have a high efficacy rate. Um, Highway 9 near Kremlin, um, that crossing reduced vehicle wildlife collisions by like 92%. And wow. yeah. Um, yeah. Department of Transportation is going to be using some really cool modeling and some really great science and uh, data that they've been collecting over the years to, and put that to good use. Um, they've had a lot of this mapped and ID'd, and now they have some funding to help get it done. Yeah, I think Wyoming is a really good example of it, too. Um, if you don't know what these things look like, I think Wyoming Wildlife on like Instagram and wherever they have social, they put up game cam videos of all the time of deer elk antelope moose crossing these these uh these uh, highway wildlife crossings mm-hmm. um you know and it's crazy because they like uh they really do them up to make them look wild not like it's not just like a yeah. sidewalk that allows them to go like it's like grass trees gravel you know like uh, like it, like in one of them they make it look like a creek bed it like literally looks like a creek bed and awesome. i'm like there's obviously some science behind that but they're like okay obviously concrete is not good let's start putting grass on these things and they start crossing them or or whatever like so if you want to see the the uh 
you know, the final result of these things. They, I know they post the videos up on, on Instagram all the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wyoming fishing game or Wyoming wildlife, whatever, whatever they're, you know, it's like the Colorado parks and wildlife, you know? Yeah. The, Oh, okay. So it's like their, their state agency. Yeah. Yeah. Their state agency puts it up. Nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I mean, I think this is kind of the way that a lot of the Western states are are heading. Um, have you have you like, for example, well, I guess Wyoming probably already has some legislation set aside because I, I feel like they were kind of like the front runners with this. Like, I remember probably five or six years ago when my little brother was in college, he was uh, he was actually talking to to somebody in Wyoming about uh, she actually man, I should reach out to her and try to get her on the podcast. But she was, she was one of the the main, I want to say like designers uh, that kind of went into one of the main engineers that went into that Wyoming project there. Um, but uh, are, are there any other Western states that have a bill like this on the docket that people could go out and show their support for? That's a little bit out of my bailiwick. I, okay. I keep a lot of my attention focused sort of on Colorado and Wyoming. But uh, yeah. I mean, I will say that like, um, I, I know that's a broad priority. Um, I mean, there's a secretarial order 3362 and a lot of um, um, emphasis has been placed on a lot of the federal agencies and, and state wildlife agencies to try to address uh, connectivity and migration corridor concerns and challenges. And so, I mean, it is a priority across the West for sure. And um, yeah, I had the opportunity for this Bill was introduced to go on a field trip led by this uh, CDOT, the Colorado Department of Transportation and Colorado Parks and Wildlife, CPW. And I mean, they took a number of us out to visit a potential uh, underpass um, site. And they were telling us about the science, how they selected the location and sort of speaking to Lee and yours points. Like there's a lot of thinking that goes into like, existing wildlife corridor like movement areas or zones and and making sure that like, they're building these in a way that is going to be like attractive or conducive to like continued like wildlife movements across those crossings or under those uh, those underpasses and so it's it's really interesting and it's each of those projects are super expensive like we're going to continue to need to push for more money like it's a we're going to continue to need to try to increase that fund because um they're not cheap um and and we have needs in communities and along um important movement corridors across the state so that's one that we're going to have to continue that drumbeat and continue uh trying to get more funding to do this right on yeah. Well, speaking of uh, spending a lot of money on projects and wanting to set set uh, money aside, uh, let's let's move on to uh, to the big one. Uh, one of the legislation uh, pieces that Colorado still has not passed, um, but is getting a ton of attention. It seems like I've been hearing about it for a while now. Uh, that's the CORE Act. Um, so that's the Colorado Colorado Outdoor Recreation. Uh, What's the E stand for there? That's uh, the Colorado Outdoor Recreation and Economy Act. I've had okay. to look that up more than once too. So yeah, okay. um, like, I know the first three, but not the last one. So would you would you uh, dive into that one and uh, what what's kind of the the broad goal of this bill here? 
Yeah, so this is a really cool piece of legislation that uh, Colorado BHA has been supportive of for a long time. And um, across the state, really across the western slope of the state and in this uh, sort of the central mountains area, um, this, this bill would protect um, around 400,000 acres through wilderness, special wildlife, and special recreation management designations. It, it would help to ex, uh, expand stream access within the Gunnison Basin. It protects important watersheds and migration corridors and high priority elk habitat, deer habitat, bighorn sheep habitat, and habitat for a suite of uh, a number of critters across the landscape. So it's, it's something that we've long time been a supporter of. And again, I think you look at how fast the state is developing, how much um, we're seeing in terms of use on public lands and how much we're developing it. It's really important for legislation like this um, that is capable of protecting habitat at a landscape level while working with local communities. And I should note that BHA is not alone in our support of this. This bill has a lot of support from hook and bullet uh, groups, local communities, county commissioners, public land users across the state, and it has for a long time. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's. It's a big deal. Um, it's passed through the House um, through a number of times and um, it's stalled in the Senate. And a lot of land packages stall in the Senate where there's usually a narrower path forward for land packages. Um, and your question is a timely one because this week, uh, the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, met with supporters of the Act near Camp Hale which would be dedicated as a historic landscape through this legislation to discuss what the path forward for this looks like, um, including um, the possibility of it being repackaged into a national monument. So it's encouraging to see that the CORAC continues to not only gain support in Colorado, but it's also gaining support in DC as well. And so regardless of its path forward, uh, BHA, the chapter, Colorado chapter is gonna remain very uh, supportive of this as it moves forward. So, so um, why do these these uh, land bills typically stall out in the in the Senate? There, yeah, it's it's one where um, sometimes it's about uh, these land packages will be packaged into a larger piece of omnibus legislation, and that often requires sort of like companion bills um, from both sides of the aisle, and it 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 it. it also requires a larger majority of the vote um, within the Senate. And so you're operating with smaller margins and you often have to have like good pieces of legislation coming from all sides working together. And, and we just haven't seen anything like that come, um, come together. Um, and so it's been frustrating and uh, we've continued to push on it, but uh, uh, Senator Bennett, um, Senator Hickenlooper and uh, Representative Naguse have like continued pushing on this. And so um, we're going to continue to do the same because it's, it's an important piece of legislation. Yeah. What's uh, what are the main kind of like rebuttals to it? Is it, is it mostly just like people talking about funding or like, what is the, what is the opposition to where we can't get? Cause it seems like this, you know, uh, face value would be, beneficial for for both party party lines there um so what are what are people saying are there things that you know certain parties are wanting to add that the other party is not wanting to add what's the deal there 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, um, the opposition is coming from folks who haven't um, had the opportunity to be part of these conversations or to take a closer look at the actual legislative language itself. Um, this this piece of legislation has been around for a long time, and I mean, it has truly been built from the ground up. And so, I mean, uh, the uh, again, like Senator Bennett, Senator Hickenlooper, Representative McGoose have been reaching out to communities and community stakeholders from all varieties and all types to to get their input, and they have actively adjusted language in the bill to meet and address concerns. Um, I think that there is always going to be a segment of um, of, of the population, um, like within like or like decision makers in DC, who try to reduce some of these things to um, to a talking point, and, and so say that it's a public lands taking, which is absolutely not the case. This is this is helping to provide a suite of different designation types. I mean, including wilderness, but also special recreation management that is inclusive of a wide variety of motorized, mechanized, all types of public land uses, along with like wildlife, um, like conservation management areas that are really important for wildlife. It, incre it creates a migration corridor up in the uh, uh, sort of protection or designation up near uh, the central mountains. It does a lot of really cool things, and I think it's part of it is it's a uh, it's, it's just a lack of understanding, not taking the time to like to look at the legislation a little bit closer and to talk to folks that have been supportive of it. Because if you talk to county commissioners, local communities across the West Slope, you're going to find a lot of support for it. And and these folks yeah. uh, pay very close attention to this. They're not going to invite something like this or support something like this in their backyard if they think it's going to have a negative impact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's good to hear. I mean, um, I know that it's been on the docket for a while so hopefully we can we can get that passed is there um is there anything that uh public landowners bha members can can do to to help uh just calling their their congressman calling uh senator bennett trying to get him to keep politicking for it yeah i think um I think that's exactly right, Ryan. I think, I mean, whoever your um, your senator, yeah, I mean, so Senator Bennett, Senator Hickenlooper are obviously supportive of it, but I think, I mean, continue to beat on that drum. I mean, continue to reach out to your decision makers. I mean, even local county commissioners. I mean, I, I because again, this has been built from the ground up. I mean, and so if folks are hearing from constituents in their communities that like, hey, I, I'm supportive of this, that goes a long way. Um, and I think a lot of our, Communities across the West Slope, our, our identities, our values are are formed very closely in relation to like what we do and our livelihoods and how they're connected to public lands. And I think this bill has been crafted in a way to to not like take away or diminish what exists, but to help protect it um, and to help conserve that that tra those traditions, that opportunity, those habitats for for years to come. Well, that's awesome. Well, you want to hit us with the uh, BLM resource management plan amendment. I had not heard about this one, uh, but I was just doing some brief research before we got on here. Uh, sounds very interesting. You want to hit us with uh, the the overarching theme of this one? Yeah, absolutely. And appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think administrative processes often don't um, – 
get the same amount of attention as legislation a lot yeah. of the times. It's, sure. It can it seem technically wonky. It can be in the weeds. It's not as sexy of an issue a lot of the time, but they can be extremely important. And this one is um, what I would sort of say is kind of like a landmark at the state level um, level of importance because of its implication, what it could help accomplish. Um, and so, I mean, to sort of distill it down, uh, the BLM is um, announced in July that they're going to be amending resource management plans across the state on BLM lands where they intersect or overlap with um, high priority uh, big game wildlife habitat. And uh, so that comes out to about like 3.4 million acres. And, and they're really going to be um, looking at like what are some of the threats um, or the impacts that big game are facing um, on on those lands and, and uh, running what's going to be around a two-year process to update their management objectives and guidelines and sort of vision and direction of like how those um, that high priority habitat is utilized what kind of sort of standards ex guidelines exist for existing uses and like how to minimize and avoid or mitigate and avoid um, potential impacts down the road to better support healthy wildlife habitat which is critical to sustaining healthy wildlife populations and so um we definitely are excited to see that definitely commend the blm for taking on this process and um and we're um right now in the scoping phase of this. So the BLM is figuring out, they're determining what is the scope of this? Like, what are they gonna consider um, in terms of impacts? What are they gonna consider in terms of big game species? Um, and that's going to then like shape like the analysis and their, their decision-making um, throughout this and towards their final recommendations. And so the important part of that is um, there are going to be numerous opportunities for the public to weigh in and to share information, to share insights, to share concerns, to help shape the direction. Um, comments aren't voting. Um, the number of comments does carry some weight, but a unique comment submitted to a land management agency or wildlife management agency is worth its weight in gold. Um, really? So if you can take the time, absolutely. Um, if you can take the time to to provide some information, some insights from your experiences on the landscape of what you've observed in terms of impacts, whether that's like you've seen an elk herds like sort of anecdotally, like you used to see a bunch of them and you're not seeing them. And the thing that's changed is maybe there's been a big mountain biking trail complex that was put there. Maybe there's a new like well pad there. Maybe there's like a wind farm there. Like that's that's all activities on public lands have the potential to to lead to habitat loss or just um or or disturb like wildlife so that they don't use it. it creates like a observable like like behavioral avoidance zone for wildlife and so like adding information like that like can help inform the blm decision making and yeah. so it's important to to step in and do that um, the deadline for co public comments is September 2nd. You can go to the uh, BHA website to the Colorado page and you're going to see a blog post on the Colorado page that 
talks about this issue in a little bit more detail and it has links to a form comment. So if you have like 20 to 30 seconds to do this, you can do that form comment. Um, or if you have like 20 to 30 minutes, um, um, we've got a, a, a little bit of guidance and like a link to the email so you can send an actual uh, 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 substantive unique comment, which I highly recommend. But yeah, again, it's a two-year two process and what we're really advocating for at uh, BHA right now, among many others, we're working very closely with TRCP on this, is right now the BLM's looking pretty closely at oil and gas um, in scoping, but they're not really looking at the impacts associated with outdoor recreation um, or, or renewable energy. And I think a lot of us are seeing um, for ourselves and hearing from our members that, and, 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 and conversations with wildlife experts and specialists across the state, we're hearing some concerning things where we're seeing a lot of those types of development. And we also want to be as proactive as possible, knowing that we're not going to have this opportunity next year, or the year after to like make the most of this um, amendment opportunity to, to, to ensure we have the strongest management um, sort of guidelines, standards, objectives in place now to sort of anticipate and to address what not only are the issues today, but what might be tomorrow from impacts arising from some of these uses. I think in addition to that, like we're really hoping that bighorn sheep can be added in as one of the species of concern within bighorn uh, within the uh, big game sort of species that they're looking at. I mean, we've got in there right now, like like elk, mule deer, like I mean, what you would expect. I mean, and and but I mean, we really want to make sure that like bighorn sheep, which are very sensitive to outdoor recreation and are are struggling right now across the state, we want to make sure that they're also included. So. If folks do want to comment, I mean, in the scoping period, our, our my advice would be like, ask them to expand it beyond oil and gas to also include outdoor recreation, renewables. If there's other things, please include that. And to ask to include other big game species like uh, bighorn sheep. Yeah. Do you um, do you think that uh, hunting pressure would be included in outdoor recreation, or do you think that 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 is kind of like a separate thing. Yeah, that's an excellent question, Ryan. I think when it comes to hunting pressure, absolutely. Like all uses have an impact. I think the difference with hunting is we are rigidly regulated. Uh, we have defined seasons, dates, durations, and um, a number of tags. Um, or like, I mean, and so we are like effectively through that in the North American model, a management tool and quotas are adjusted as you and our listeners know. I mean, tags become available based off of those management objectives and those herd objectives. And I mean, that sort of defines what the available use and sort of restricts what the impact can be in a given area. We absolutely have an impact. We're consumptive users, but we're also paying into the system and we also adhere to a strict uh, set of rules and regulations. I think when you expand that out to outdoor recreation at large, um, we're seeing an explosion of trails use, like mountain biking is blowing up um, and, and people are spending more days um, out on trails than ever before. Um, I think it's something like 90%, if I'm remembering correctly from um, the uh, SCORP plan, like in some of the data that they had of, of Colorado residents recreate at least one time per month on public lands. I mean, 
So it's it's a part of our values. It's a part of our identity. One of the fastest growing states in the country. We have people visit here to spend time on public lands. And so it's one where we have struggled to date to to manage that amount of use and to manage that impact. And so I think when we look at this opportunity, I mean, it's important that we're thinking about that. Uh, it's important that, uh, that we're recommending that the BLM think about that because um, it's as the number of users that love public land spend time on it grows, the amount of wildlife habitat available to wildlife remains finite. Um, and so that means as we're put or shrinks exactly as we push into these places, we're often pushing wildlife out. Um, and that's a form of wildlife habitat loss. So yeah, it's one, it's an important one that we're paying very close attention to. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I ask that because, you know, I, I think sometimes the, the hunting community, um, will almost separate ourselves from, you know, the, the, impact on on environments but I, I mean i don't think there's any question that hunting pressure um you know affects the way that um big game move across public lands i mean that like especially now with all the all the data that's coming out about you know elk moving to private land during hunting season and stuff like that i just think it's something that very much needs to needs to be accounted for you know and i think um I think people in the hunting world, they tend to blame it on mountain bikers. They're like, oh, it's it's the mountain bikers. You know, if there weren't so many mountain bikers, there would be more elk here during hunting season. Well, it's like, well, look at it. I mean, like if there's elk there during the summer, I mean, I'm sure we've all experienced it where, you know, day one, you go out there like day one scouting or you go out there and there's just elk everywhere to your, your number one spot. And then, you know, the first day of hunting season comes and it's just, they've all vacated. So it's just, I, you know, and I'm not play, trying to place all the blame on hunters. Obviously I am a hunter. I love hunting, but, um, you know, I think, I think it's part of the, the conservation ethic, if you will, um, to take responsibility and, and also realize what you are doing and how you as a hunter are affecting big game on these landscapes instead of just, you know, putting all the blame on other people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think, I think we all have to take accountability. I think you guys are right. And I think, I mean, we also have to cultivate a resource first mentality and help, um, others to do the same, I mean, within our own community and in other like outdoor user communities. And I think we have to use the best available science. I think that needs to guide decision-making and that's what this process is about. It's about utilizing the best available science and, and having the BLM in this instance create like management objectives and standards through that to help hopefully mitigate and avoid some of those impacts. And I think none of this stuff happens in a vacuum it's these cumulative impacts. It's not just recreation. It's not just oil and gas. It's not just renewables. It's not just subdivisions being put in. It's all of these things working in all of it. And, and we have to work. It's going to take a comprehensive, dedicated approach and strong leadership um, from, from our agency partners, from the state, from our local communities, and from within our own ranks if we're going to do this. Because this is an incredible heritage that we've got. Like it defines our values. It defines who we are. It's what we think about every day. I guarantee you every single one of us is shooting our bows every day right now, thinking about September 2nd. Like 
I mean, we're ready to get out there and we're, I mean, it's who we are and we have to take ownership and involve ourselves in these processes so that we don't just have this opportunity next year, but so future generations do. We want people to be defined, I think, by the same experiences we've had. Like, that's what I want our country to look like. I want somebody three decades from now who understands and is just gets super excited about engaging and interacting with an elk like 20 to 40 yards away from them calling in a big bull or seeing a big herd move a thousand feet in five minutes up a canyon wall or like waking up to them bugling like i mean you want people to be inspired by that and for that like wild spirit to shape part of our identity as a people and as a country and so i think if we're going to do that resource first it has to be more than just about our opportunity but it doesn't mean we have to say well i'm going to just give up everything too i think engage pay attention show up to the table like make sure that your voice is heard and be willing to learn and be willing to work with people who might not be at the same point in the spectrum and their awareness of their impact as you are because if you're it's your first day out there you're going to not understand your impact the same way like a lot of folks talk about leave no trace. Leave no trace doesn't really work for wildlife because you're not seeing your impact to wildlife. They're seeing you or they're smelling you. They're hearing you like way away. And like if you're walking down a trail, one person down a mile section of a trail per hour, they're going to avoid that trail system up to like a quarter mile, like on either side. Like, and so if you have people continuing to walk that, there's a buffer zone on either side of that trail now that's not going to be used. So like there's a spectrum of leave no trace, how we see the landscape and how wildlife see the landscape is totally different. We need to help folks to understand how wildlife utilize and see that landscape a little bit if we're gonna actually like move forward with some meaningful management changes to ensure that we have healthy wildlife populations. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. Definitely. Well, let's, uh, let's end on some really positive stuff, right? So um, every year, there are pieces of uh, public land that are added to the repertoire, right? Added to the library um, due to hard, hard work from folks like yourself at, at BHA and TRCP and, and all these, these conservation uh, groups that are, you know, really uh, looking to expand access. So would you mind just hitting us with a recap of maybe a couple pieces of public land that have been added um, to, to the repertoire here in Colorado. Totally, totally. And I, yeah, I appreciate it. And I won't take credit for this. I, I think BHA was a very, um, very happy to be part of this process, but I won't take ownership of like all this coming together. I think anytime we have like new public lands become available, it's usually the product of hard work on the part of a local agency. In this case, the BLM with a willing landowner, that's like, saying, you know what I want my legacy to be? I'm, I'm going to be like retiring or moving away. Like I want to give this to the public. Like that's huge. Um, you have organizations like the Conservation Fund who are experts at facilitating these transfers. And it's it all comes down to money, right? And the money that we're using, the funds that we're using are Land Water Conservation Fund dollars, which is awesome. It's one of the most successful programs that we've got in this country. Um, it's got a super long heritage and tradition. And I mean, it's, it's uh, of doing this. I think we've over four 
or around $4 billion have been invested into federal, state, and local projects through LWCF. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, its future was just in question just a few years ago. Like, I mean, it in 2019, it looked like it might sunset, but thank God, like it was able to be permanently reauthorized. We work really, really hard on that. Um, and then the following year, we were able to get it um, fully dedicated funding at that $900 million amount. So like that amount gets doled out to state agencies across the country and it gets utilized for these acquisition projects. And it's an extreme benefit for the public from city parks to great land acquisitions like this in cool places. So these two that you're referencing, that was the long way around answer there, Ryan, I'm sorry. Um, the, uh, they, they, each one of these happened in, uh, on BLM lands um, within the national conservation areas. Um, this first one um, happened in um, Dominguez Escalante National Conservation Area, the Dinka. Um, and it's this parcel is about 160 acres. It's called Escalante Creek, provides new access to some great habitat and hunting opportunities. So really excited about that one. Um, Crow Bottom is right in our backyard. It's a, along the Colorado River within the McKinnis uh, NCA, uh, McKinnis Canyon NCA. And so that's a really cool one. There's some great hop hunting opportunities down there. And we're actually working with the BLM on a, a volunteer project in October, we hope to launch where we're going to float in with some cable and post, install it, and uh, like to sort of make sure that folks aren't driving into the habitat, but that there's a defined parking spot down there. Um, it's a little hard to get to. And we just want to make sure that like, we're protecting that habitat, but we'll get that installed, um, spend a day down there. And I think uh, folks want to join. We're going to hopefully do sort of like a cast and blast all the way to West uh, Water from there. So a little bit of waterfowl hunting, maybe some catfishing opportunity after that. So mixing some good work for some public lands on that really cool um, acquisition process. So this is a cool way. It's full circle. It's been like from acquisition policy to stewardship to actually hunting it. So it's a fun thing to be a part of. Well, that that is awesome, man. I'm I'm so happy to hear all this stuff, all this positivity happening for for public lands here. Um, you know, for everybody that's listening, y'all got to make sure and enjoy September. I know a lot of you guys are, but go out and and soak in those public lands because it's it's a privilege and a right that that we as Americans have. That you know, honestly, not a lot of other countries have, right? And um, you know, it's just. We're so thankful for for groups like yourself, uh, Brian and 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 BHA, uh, that you guys are out there, you know, fighting fighting the good fight for us. So we appreciate it, man. I mean, I'll, I'll throw it right back at you guys. Like we've, I mean, I've always been grateful for our partnership with you. Seek Outside is awesome. You guys do, I mean, great create great gear. You create great content. Um, and uh, you've been a difference maker in my own hunts with my pack and my, I've got a couple of your tents and love them. Um, but yeah, just, you guys have always been awesome partners and appreciate you getting great content out there to folks and getting folks equipped and empowered to experience these places with some really high quality, low weight gear. So yeah, thanks for what you guys do too. And for educating our community about all these issues. What are you guys doing anything for uh, public lands day, like September 24th, whatever. Yeah. If, if folks are uh, interested in doing anything on public lands day, we actually do have a fence removal project up near Meeker. Um, you can check it out on the Colorado BHA event page, but uh, it's going to be led by Britt park. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, folks are going to be camping out, but yeah, uh, just 
you just made me think of that, Ryan, with your pitch there. So I encourage folks to sign up. Sweet, man. Well, uh, well, you have a good day. Yeah. 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 Yeah.